the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. It's often the loudest activists and politicians who don't understand what they're fighting for. When it comes to energy, this is especially true. Fossil fuels have been demonized for causing a so-called climate crisis, and wind, solar, and other renewable energy sources have been expounded as saviors of humanity. Yet if we look into the issue more carefully, we'll find that the claims against fossil fuels and nuclear power are unwarranted. A world without fossil fuels is bleak and not conducive to human flourishing and advancement. We would be impoverished, and those in harsher climates would be left freezing with their most vulnerable citizens at risk of death. This is certainly not the future I want for my children. My guest today is Todd Royal, who will be discussing how we can speak to others about complicated energy topics and bring a more sensible approach to these debates. Todd Royal is an internationally published columnist, energy policy expert, and author based in McKinley, Texas. A graduate of Pepperdine University's School of Public Policy, Todd's expertise has informed the U.S. Department of Energy, the U.S. Department of Commerce, the United States Congress, and states of Kentucky, California, and Texas. His subject matter expertise covers hydraulic fracking, green hydrogen battery storage technology, and nuclear reactors. Unlike most subject matter experts in the field, Todd's background is in communication. As a trained actor and member of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, Todd has experience on stage, on television, in film, and as a voice actor. Todd will become the Bill Nye the Science Guy of energy and explain the science and politics of energy in digestible terms that the average person can understand. So welcome to the show, Todd. Well, I want to meet that guy, whoever that is. Can I uh, meet that guy? He's, <laughs> yeah, he's, right. He sounds, yeah. he sounds awfully impressive. Well, you know, there's a few questions we wanted to talk about. And the first one concerns communication. Okay. What are some tips that you can give for communicating with others about complicated energy topics that are often fraught with political biases? You know, the biggest one for me right now is the whole renewables issue. First off, people say renewables. And if you don't understand this, you're going to go, what are you talking about? Well, typically you're going to mean the wind and the sun. And you're going to say, hey, the wind and the sun are going to produce electricity. And someone could go, well, how? Well, have you ever, you ever gone past a big field and seen this big turbine spinning around? That's a wind turbine. Have you ever gone and seen maybe your neighbor, you know, your, your neighbor who you kind of like, or maybe you don't like, just put some things on their house. Well, that's a solar panel. The sun's going to shine in there. That's going to help give you some electricity. The wind's going to blow. It's going to go like this. But then you'll hear these things that just drive me nuts as well, because you'll go, oh, they're intermittent. They're variable. And again, you're like going, oh my gosh, will you please tell me what that means? And yeah, you go, what's it mean? Intermittent. <laughs> intermittent, variable. It's almost like, think about this. If we go to get our car repaired, I had to buy some new tires recently. And the guy asked me, he goes, oh, would you like the all-weather or the all-terrain? And I go, what's the difference? Oh, it's got different tread. It does this. And then they explained, where do you drive? I told them, oh, hey, Todd, you're going to need to spend more money buying these tires because I think you're going to be a little safer because of what you're driving. 
Okay, great. Well, let's take re these renewables things, these wind and sun. Well, what happens if the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine? Ding, 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 ding. You don't have electricity. And I think that's where what I see with all of this, we have got to talk about it in a way that people understand where you go, because what happens, you go, oh, I'm against it. I'm against it. Or you're on the left or you're on the right. And you go, hey, let's lower the temperature. And let's just say, okay, maybe if I'm building something in some far off part of the United States or Canada or anywhere around the world, okay, maybe that maybe you want to go do a wind turbine or a solar panel. Maybe you have a little battery storage system for your house. Okay, maybe that's going to work. But anything when you get cities or towns or a big group of people, well, they're going to have to have electricity 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And certainly we've got a hospital or a sewer system or a water plant or maybe a big refrigeration plant. We've got this big refrigeration uh, facility near whenever I drive to work every day. Well, they're storing everything from meats to vaccines. So you got to have those things. And that's where I think we've got to take this and make it where people understand. The other thing, I was talking to my daughter today. I've got a 12-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. And my daughter started learning about climate change. And she was asking me about it. And then I said, well, honey, I go, it can be a little complicated. And I said, and I said, what happens with this too is people, it's so demonized. And it's so, we got to yell at each other. And I go, hey. I go, honey, I go, there's this really smart professor named Michael Mann, and he tends to be the guy who's Mr. Climate Change, and he gets mad at people on Twitter who say it doesn't exist, or the former one of the presidents of the United States called people deniers. And I said, here's what you got to think about it. I go, well, is it hotter now or colder now than it used to be? She goes, well, what does used to be mean? I go, well, before we had these fossil fuels and they were putting stuff up into the atmosphere. And we have more people now than we did in kind of the course of human history. And I said, that's kind of an easy way to think about it. And so that's where I've been thinking, we have got to just make these easy to understand and just easy to talk about. So concerning the business of intermittency, I hear mm -hmm. people think, well, you know, if 10 wind turbines uh, won't give us the power, then I guess we'll have 100. But if there's no wind, you can have a million and it doesn't make any difference, right? Well, and I was, you know, again, going back to my daughter who's in an energy class right now, I said, well, honey, remember the, the famous Texas blackout? I, I, live in, I live in McKinney, Texas. McKinney, Texas is about 40 minutes north of Dallas or the DFW area. Well, back in February of 2021, we had this Arctic blast. It lasted for about anywhere between five to seven days. We were in a full blackout for over five days. Cool. And, when, wow. and when you look at it, you go, okay, what does intermittent mean? Well, here's what it meant. It got minus, it was down to all the way up to minus five. No wind was blowing and it was kind of dark outside. So I couldn't use a solar panel because there wasn't sun. There was no wind to do the turbine. Texas gets about 30% of its electricity from, the, from uh, wind turbines and solar panels. So we had a blackout. And so the thing that ended up bringing us back was we had a bunch of natural gas. Like I think it was like 434%. And even that, I would tell people, well, what do you mean by 434%? Well, 
Well, it took so much natural gas and so much energy to bring that grid online. That's what it means. And so when we communicate these issues, I think we have to realize, I just like to use the car analogy. Tom, I know nothing about cars. I don't know how to build anything. So I look for a contractor. I have a car mechanic who simply explains things, whether it's my tires, my a carburetor, my transmission. I had some alignment issues recently. And he told me, he goes, Todd, well, grab your steering wheel. Does it do this or did it do that? And I went, well, it went, blah, 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 blah. he goes, ah, now I know. And he, he explained it to me. So that's where I say, Tom, we have got to get to this point where we just explain it easily to people and make it digestible. And then someone can go, well, I think I want that sun and wind, but yeah. Okay. But you're telling me it didn't work on. Yeah. Didn't work all the time. Didn't, if you still want it, that's your choice, but you got to look at it. Can this power a city, a state, a County, a country, a continent for now? They're just not technologically there. Maybe they'll be there at some point. Maybe some technological breakthrough will happen, you know, in mm -hmm. physics or chemistry or uh, some kind of mechanical or electrical engineering that we just haven't discovered yet. Yeah, I like to actually use a little bit of a story. I say, let's pretend you were headed for a heart operation and the hospital calls you and says, well, we're going to have to delay your operation because it's not windy. And then you say, well, well, what about your solar power? Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Harris, but it, it's actually kind of cloudy today. So yeah. we'll call you back when it's either windy or sunny. And I mean, so you sit at home, not having your heart operation, not even knowing when you're going to do it. You know, yeah. so I, I think that little stories like that can, and also in particular, what happened in Texas. Yeah. I was reading in the Wall Street Journal that up to 700 people may have died mm -hmm. because of the blackout. Is that an exaggeration? No, I mean, I'd seen, I'd seen that same number. You see anywhere from about 200 to 700. Um, really what you could say that if it was even one person, it was preventable. Mm -hmm. and, and it's saying that going, okay, no one's saying you don't use renewables. I know there's people who say don't use them, but you have to realize when can they be used? And, and is it the best time to use them right now if they can't go 24, if they can't be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, no matter the weather. Mm -hmm. The only things that can do that right now are coal, natural gas, oil. You can burn oil, you can burn diesel, and nuclear. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, nuclear is the only one that doesn't put any CO2 or carbon into the atmosphere while we're burning it. It's, mm -hmm. not, putting, it's not giving us methane gas or sulfur oxide or nitrous oxide. So you got to kind of weigh, you got to weigh all those things. So I think that's where when we communicate this, even electric vehicles, I was talking to my daughter about it today. And I said, well, honey, I go, they're wonderful. I go, I've driven a Tesla. It is cool. And she's like, they're cool. And I go, yes, they are. Yeah, they're smooth. I go, they're so smooth and they're cool. And I felt so cool when I was in it. And it, the car handles incredibly, but I go, See underneath that car right now? I said, it's got this big, giant battery. I go, think about like our remote control. Because boy, they're kids. So they, like to, they like themselves from TV. I go, what if that battery took up this entire phone and it was one giant thing or it took up my entire remote control? I go, <laughs> is it very usable? She was like, well, it's a lot heavier. I go, then that's what's going on with that car. 
that car is heavier. It's harder on the tires. The tires are wearing out. And one of the biggest sources of pollution on the planet is tires. Mm-hmm. And one of the most complex things to make are tires. And she was like, oh, because she went, oh, I know what a tire is. But I go, oh, a lithium ion battery that can only last <laughs> in this. And it gets, when it's cold, it heats up to this point of centigrade of Celsius. And I've done studies on lithium ion batteries, and then we can all fall asleep and get bored to death the moment I start talking about it. So that's yeah. where I say, we, Tom, we've got to talk about it this way, where my 12-year-old daughter is going, oh, okay, dad, so you think it's cool. Oh, I got to think about this. I go, yeah, that's, that's how we do this. So maybe we buy a hybrid where we go part electric, part gas. So those are some of the ways I think you can kind of effectively communicate some of these big hot button issues that get people so riled up these days. So can you actually tell us how heavy is a typical battery in a Tesla, say a Tesla car, in comparison with, let's say, the weight of the gasoline in a, uh, in a Honda, for example? Well, the best one I just, I literally just read this the other day because I think they're so cool. Have you seen the, the General Motors Hummer? No. Okay. Well, yeah, I've seen it. Oh, and it's so cool. And the basketball player, LeBron James, I think I read he has one. And the battery is something like 6,000 pounds. Oh, wow. And you go, okay, well, that's really cool. And I'm a big fan of the Los Angeles Lakers basketball star, LeBron James. But if you're telling me I'm quote unquote going to have cleaner air or less pollution driving that vehicle, that's just, that's insane. And I've read things too, that even the Tesla, the the battery in the car is two to three times heavier than a normal car. Mm, Wow. So that's just hard for me to go, well, how is that better for the air or my front yard or whatever it is that, you know, that, that, that concerns you because you hear the environment and I go, well, what does that mean? What we should be concerned about is how much trash am I putting in that landfill? How much pollution is on the side of a road? How dirty is the air? And so I've got to go do something with that car and that battery after it's done. And right now there aren't really very, there aren't many quality or even large quantity of recycling programs that go on for used uh, electric vehicle batteries. Also, I guess you have to ask, I mean, a lot of people act as if the electricity just comes out of the air. I mean, you have to generate it somewhere, mm-hmm. to power your EV. And in many cases in the United States and China, you're getting your electricity from coal. Mm-hmm. So really, these are coal powered cars, not electric cars. <laughs> I mean, electric, but coal powered. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, there's a great phrase that I love called the life cycle. And again, let's make this easy. Life cycle just means here's the moment we thought about this car. Here's the moment we discarded the car. So what's the life of this vehicle? Well, within that vehicle, I got to go, well, who mined it? How did you process it? How did you transport it to market? How did you build it? How did I drive it? What were the tires and all the components? Where did all of that come from? It likely came from fossil fuels. And then in the moment that I'm charging it, more than likely, because most people do their charging, they're going to do it at night. They're going to do it when they get home. Um, Then you have to go look up and go, okay, what's coming out of that electrical grid? Is it natural gas? Is it coal? Is it nuclear? Now, I think you could make the argument, Tom, if you said, okay, I'm charging it and it comes from a nuclear power plant. Okay. Okay. Now, 
you're making a little more sense, but see, you know, when you look up and you go, it needs all these special minerals and metals like lithium and niodium and copper and nickel. Well, most of those things aren't mined in um, the United States and Canada or Europe. They're mined in China. They're mined in uh, places like Indonesia, Malaysia. They're mined all throughout Africa, in particular the Congo. They're mined in South America. Well, more than likely, those places have not really good environmental regulations. They're not really concerned about pollution. They're not looking out for their water, and they're not looking out for, hey, are our landfills good? Can we put trash in there? And then we're going to really be effective and make sure it doesn't hurt people. And then on top of it, it's probably being made through some of the dirtiest forms of a coal-fired power plant that, mm -hmm. that we have. So I think that's where we go, okay, now we can talk about this. And hopefully I've just spoken about this where my 12-year-old or a guy like me who knew nothing about cars, if you're explaining these things to me, and hey, I've got five minutes, uh, the kids are getting ready for school, or I'm taking a lunch break and going outside, I can listen to something for five minutes and go, oh, I didn't realize that about that Tesla, or I didn't realize that about that Nissan Leaf, or wow, I think LeBron James is really cool. I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize that about that Hummer. That way, we're, we're talking to people in a way that they can, they can understand it, and it's more digestible to them. Well, you know, I should tell you about a little story concerning one of the activists here in Ottawa who actually is fighting for climate and energy realism. And what she, what she did is she used some stuff from your book that you wrote with Ron Stein, uh, Energy Exploitations. Okay. And she went, to, she went to the microphone during the Ottawa mayor election and Ottawa is going to be spending a billion dollars on electric buses, if you can believe that. And she talked about how the cobalt was mined and, and mm -hmm. how a lot of it is done with children and yep. she said, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother. This is not acceptable to me. Are you prepared to electrify the city of Ottawa on the backs of African children forced to work in these dangerous conditions, breathing radioactive dust, et cetera? And mm. the people on the committee, the, you know, the people who are running for mayor, they were just stuck because they actually didn't know much about it, but they could yeah. hardly say, well, we don't care about the children. We're going to electrify the city anyway. But they didn't want to say, oh, I guess we're not going to electrify the city. So that was a very direct personal approach. And do you think that kind of thing works well? I do. And in, in that regards, we had we had coined a phrase uh, called blood minerals. Mm. And it was it was based on the movie Blood Diamonds, you know, with Leonardo DiCaprio that really kind of exposed that these diamonds were coming out of Africa that were being uh, mined by slave labor, that their own population was enslaved by vicious terrorist warlords. And so he said, well, the same thing's going on with cobalt. So you're having to mine this massive amount of cobalt that you need for electric vehicles, wind turbines, solar panels. And yes, I need it for an iPhone. So let's be honest about this. So let's, let's bring it all out there. Well, you're using more of the cobalt for these so-called clean energy uh, systems, these cl this clean energy transportation for this electricity. So you then have to go, okay, if I really, if I really believe in human rights, that we're all created equal, that no matter if I'm white, black, brown, orange, yellow, whatever I may be, how can I then say, I'm going to say a six-year-old child who's enslaved in a mine that was dug by hand 
to be able to put in an electric vehicle or solar panel wind turbine. Well, that's a blood mineral. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is a, you are doing that on the backs of a black child. You're, you're just as bad as, as what the Nazis had done to Jewish people, slave labor during World War II. Mm-hmm. That, that is a, that's a blood mineral. Yeah, for sure. Now, the city of Ottawa says, oh, no, no, we don't buy our products that have involved any child labor or, you know, bad environmental conditions. But I mean, if you're getting any products from a country like China, how can you really know sure. where that particular cobalt comes from? You can. And I mean, you would have to do, as far as I know, there's not like there's some UN registry or anything like that. And 60 to 70% of the world's cobalt is coming out of the Congo. Mm-hmm. So the city of, where it's the city of Iowa or the state of Texas or California or the US government or the EU or on and on and on, the folks who say they're going to electrify everything. Well, can you tell me exactly where that's coming from? It, it's like the same people who say that they're going to, you know, they're going to trace the carbon for ESG mandates. Mm-hmm. Okay, good luck with that. I've yeah. tried I've tried doing it. I'm a pretty trained researcher at these things. I've written three books on this kind of stuff. It's next to impossible. It, it, it would almost be like, again, let's take this, let's take this iPhone right now. Can we trace where all this cobalt came from? Can I trace all the materials? What what about can I trace how many how much carbon emissions it took to make this? Mm-hmm. That's gonna. Uh, good luck. Yeah, good you'd luck. have to get you'd have to get right into the mines, and I don't imagine China would let you in. I mean, uh, no, yeah, try, no. it's pretty no. tough. Now, exactly. I'm working on a series of articles specifically on the next question, and so huh? you give me here, I'll be able to use right away. What would our society look like if we were to rely solely on green energy? And the reason I ask this is because. The city of Ottawa wants to get rid of all of its natural gas, all of its mm-hmm. gasoline. It wants to power the whole city on electric, mainly powered by wind and solar power. Mm-hmm. Well, if I were talking to the city of Ottawa Council, which I will at times, can I give them a preview of what it would look like if they relied solely on green energy? <laughs> well, I think you could go anecdotally. Let's be let's just let's be simple about this and go. Do you know any city, state? or country that is 100% renewables. Just say, let's just start there. Let's make, is there anybody that's yeah. only doing renewables right now? So if there is, well, let's see, let's see how they're doing because people that are heavily doing it, well, the European Union has been trying it, the state of Texas. So those are two very different belief systems. You could say, okay, state of Texas, more religious, more conservative. The EU is going to be more secular. They're going to say we're more scientifically based. Both are at about 30% uh, penetration of renewables for their electricity. And both have had to rely heavily on natural gas. One has caused an absolute national security and energy nightmare for their continent. They're reliant on Russian natural gas, the EU and specifically Germany. Which, incidentally, The Economist came out with an article in the last 48 hours that said more people died from Germany's energy decisions, meaning Russian natural gas and getting rid of it, than died from COVID. Wow. So, in other words, you're saying, hey, again, these are not technologically able to run 
365 days of a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's just not technologically there. Germany hasn't done it. Texas hasn't done it. And arguably, the, some of the best research universities in the world are located in California. Mm -hmm. Caltech, Berkeley, Stanford. One would think just, I'm, I'm going to just be a simple guy here and say, those are, there's some really smart men and women running around those three universities. There's a lot of smart people in Germany and Texas is an economic powerhouse. So far, they haven't been able to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, it's interesting because during the last committee meeting for the city of Ottawa's environment and climate change committee, yeah. they had a question period from the public and one lady was a teacher and she said, if, could you show us another city that has done what you're planning to do? Yep. And if not, would you take a segment of the city, preferably the members of this council and the people within the city government who support the plan, who would actually live this way for a year? And tell, yeah. us, how, tell us how it worked. Okay, don't drive your gas car, just get an electric or mm -hmm. you know, do all the retrofits in your home that you want us to do. Yep. And, and don't fly anywhere. Do all these things yourself. And it was funny because the teacher said, if I had a student who came to me and said, I want the class to learn in a totally different way, I would say to the student, have you tried it yourself? And if the answer was no, I'd say, well, go try it yourself and tell us how it works. But, you know, they never do that. They want to convert yeah. the, whole, the whole city. They yep. want to convert the whole country. I mean, these plans are completely impractical. I've never seen a case where you have a massive transition, where you don't at least have a pilot study yeah, to, yeah. to try it out on a small basis. So, I mean, does that make sense? Was the teacher right that they should be showing us by leadership example how to do it by doing it themselves? Absolutely. I love that teacher. I love that idea because it's there's another gentleman named Francis Merton of, of, uh, called the Manhattan Contrarian. He's written extensively on this. He's written extensively on what it would take to electrify the entire United States, how many solar panels, wind turbines, how many, how many just the battery systems alone. Um, anecdotally, there was an engineer, a couple different studies he's written about. It says typically a battery is about a million and a half dollars, million dollars per megawatt. You're getting into what's called these terawatts, which is just billions upon billions of gigawatts. It's just a massive amount of electricity let's say like the United States does, or what Ottawa would do. Well, you just have to go look at the cost. So how much would it cost to do that battery system? How much would it cost to, for the solar panels, the turbines? And then you also have to look at not just will you try it, but where are you going to put it? Where are you going to put it all? Because a lot of people don't realize this too, that they have a, they take up a lot of land. Typically, solar panels and wind turbines need about 300 to 700% more land than you're going to drill for natural gas or oil or a nuclear power plant mm -hmm. or, even a, or even a coal mine. So they are massive, massive, massive systems that take up gargantuan amounts of land. I've read things just for the United States alone, you'd need to cover anywhere between 25 to 50% of the entire land mass of the United States to try to just use renewables. So you would have to say the same thing. You'd have to look at Ottawa and go, okay, I'm going to make it easy. Ottawa is, let's say, 10 miles, 10 miles around, and you use X amount of electricity. Okay, 
Well, I've got to then put that amount of solar panels and wind turbines on the city of Ottawa. Or I've got to put those somewhere so far away and then build with what's called these high voltage transmission lines. They're big, multiple lines. I mean, they're really cool. They're actually kind of cool when you see them. <laughs> but I've got, to, I've got to bring in typically 10 to 12 per these, what's called these industrial wind farms, industrial solar farms versus a power plant, coal, gas, nuclear, needs about two to three of these. Mm-hmm. And I can put that, I can put those much closer to where the consumer is of them, a business or an individual, a family versus the renewable. I got to put it so far out because it needs so much more land for the city of Ottawa, unless the city of Ottawa is going to say, we're going to put these up every single, every place where we can put them. But that's, mm-hmm. unreal, that's unrealistic because now a lot of the wind turbine blades can sometimes be two and three football fields fields longer in your parlage let's call it at least two soccer fields long yeah yeah you know i should just tell you before we go to break you'd laugh to hear the city of ottawa which is a million people wants to have 710 industrial wind turbines taller than the statue of liberty and you know in ontario you need to have at least a half a kilometer between the turbine yep. and a res- residential dwelling so during the mayor debates one of the people i work with went to the microphone and said well where are you going to put them? <laughs> and uh, pretty basic question. And the leading contender for mayor, who was a climate alarmist, she kind of giggled and she said, oh, well, um, she hadn't figured it out yet. So they just make these promises. And <laughs> it's just so silly. Start at the beginning when we start our second half and tell us how does nuclear energy work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good. So I'll be back right after the break with Todd Royal, internationally published columnist, energy policy expert, and author based in McKinley, Texas. So stay tuned. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Save 20% by using promo code 
out loud at cofixrx.com. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. Working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. So I'm back with Todd Royal, an international published columnist, energy policy expert, and author based in McKinney, Texas. So Todd, how does nuclear power work? I mean, a lot of people think that equivalent to bombs and if we have nuclear power stations my god we're engaged in nuclear proliferation of weapons sure but it's not really weapon related is it how does it work no it's two you know it's two different things uh you mine the uranium the uranium is processed completely different than a than a nuclear weapon so just a little background my current work i work for an organization called e4 carolinas a a nonprofit energy advocacy firm uh, based out of charlotte north carolina I am working on a three-year contract from the U.S. Department of Commerce's Economic Development Administration. We are doing a a global value chain analytical approach for advanced nuclear technology, what's called Generation 3 Plus, Generation 4 Reactors. And when I tell you these things are cool, they are cool. The way nuclear power works is it starts with this thing called a fission process. We're going to split an atom. The way that is done If it was like a nuclear bomb, well, when you split it, it would blow up. So to be as simple as possible, you're doing two completely different processes. So in the United States, there's now 94 nuclear reactors. Canada has some of the leading nuclear reactors in the world, your your, uh, CANDU technology, C-A-N-D-U technology. Your Chalk River site plan is going to do a branch, some small module reactors from G. Itachi. So there's no way that Prime Minister Trudeau or any state in the United States is going to say, hey, we're going to do the process and we're going to make it like a nuclear bomb is going off. That's the first thing we need to know. So that it creates this fission process. What that does is it creates steam and steam goes through a turbine. And these turbines are awesome. The way to describe them is like a long, beautiful, the most complex, most beautiful looking pen or pencil you've ever seen with ridges. Mm-hmm. Steam goes through this turbine, it circles it, releases energy, and that's how you're making electricity. And now you have these iconic, you'll see them with nuclear power plants, these big, almost like, a, I think it's called like an A, it's an alkaloid. I can never say the word correctly, but a little funnel. And you'll see smoke, what people think, oh, it's smoke coming out. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And you're like, no. <laughs> That's steam. That's why it's carbon free. So they take the heat then from the fission reaction. Yep. They boil water the same way as they boil water with a coal station. Yep. Or they can, it can be pressurized water or something called light water. 
just some different things that you do. Now, here's where it gets cool. What's called these generation four um, technology. You're no longer going to be using water. You're going to be using molten salts, lead bismuth, uh, high temperature gases like helium, uh, pebble beds. Here's why that's important. The hotter this can get, the more stuff that can be done with it. Right now, you're, you're essentially just making electricity, which is great. There's no modern world without electricity. But now you, a typical nuclear power plant gets up to about 300 to 350 degrees Celsius. These new plants will be able to get up to anywhere between 950 to 1,000 degrees Celsius. And you can do all these things like this stuff called process heat. It gets really hot, produces this really hot steam. That's how you make things like steel and chemicals. And there's this brand new project that just got announced by Dow, the International Chemical Company. And in Texas, they're going to try to use one of these brand new reactor companies called X Energy, X Dash Energy. And they want to put a high temperature gas reactor, something get up to like 950 degrees Celsius to help make their chemicals. And then another company called New Scale has just signed a, uh, an, a memorandum of understanding with Nucor, one of the largest steel companies of the world, for their what's called their ARC furnace plant. So instead of using fossil fuels, they want to put a nuclear reactor there and help to help to clean up the process. So what you're looking at is you have this fission reaction that typically comes from uranium as a fuel. Uranium is mined. It's mined in places like the United States, Kazakhstan, and Australia. You can get about a kilogram of uranium. This uranium that's a little bigger than my fist is more powerful than a piece of coal by 20,000 times. <laughs> 20,000. <000. laughs> mm -hmm. Meaning this thing has so, what, the fancy term is energy density. I always tell people, it's just like power. This thing has just so much power, it's unbelievable. And so that's what, that's what is used as fuel. And you got to do some special things to it. Um, companies in the United States like Westinghouse, are one of the biggest fuel manufacturers in the world. And they create these long rods. But this rod, these rods all around these reactors, that uranium is the gas for the reactor. And it just has unbelievable amounts of energy that comes out of that. And so that's why nuclear power plants are not only reliable, they're incredibly safe, they're incredibly affordable. And the cool part about nuclear power plants Nuclear power plants are the only energy source, not renewables, not coal, not natural gas, that from the moment you say, I'm going to create this plant, to the moment you decommission the plant, they actually go through dematerialization and they disassemble it, meaning they're going to make the site look better than what it did before you put the plant on there. It's the only energy source that does that. It's the only industry that goes, we're going to think about this thing, not just here, we're truly going to think about it the whole way through. And the Italians have come up with processes that they say they can recycle 90 to 95% of the entire power plant. Wow. That's quite different to a wind turbine where the blades are made of fiberglass and you can't recycle them. Yep. <laughs> because a nuclear power plant, it's, it's predominantly concrete, steel, rebar, and a lot of plastic. Mm -hmm. And so much of that. But it's cool that they're this industry takes it 
And not only is the most powerful source of energy we have, energy to electricity, but we're actually saying, gosh, we're going to return this site. It started here looking like this, and we're going to return it back to its natural state when we're done with it. Mm-hmm. But that is an incredible thing that people don't realize, and that it, it's not a bomb. It's the entirely, entirely, entirely different process. Well, you know, it's interesting. I have friends who are generally sensible people, but they feel that nuclear reactors are too dangerous. And they say, mm-hmm. what, about, what about the radioactive waste? Oh my God, it's dangerous for millions of years. Oh. I understand that the high level waste is not dangerous for that length of time. It's the low level waste like gloves and things that are slightly radioactive. Those ones are radioactive for millions mm-hmm. of years. So how do you answer people when they say, oh, well, how do you get rid of the waste? Great. I, I love it. It's a great, it's a great question. And it's something that people should be concerned about. But you've got to look at the flip side and go, there's a great picture going around the internet right now that shows if you took all the nuclear waste in the world since the moment we started nucle- using nuclear power plants in the 50s to today, that it could fit in, it could fit, they they were using a baseball field. It'd be about 20, about 21 meters across and maybe about four or five stories high. And that's it. Because also with the waste, right now it's put in cask that are the most secure things that you could ever imagine. They're concretes and metals. You can actually go up and hug the cask. Huh. And then the other thing people don't realize too is how much radiation you have in your daily life. Um, I had a friend tell me once, they said, do you realize it was a, a scientist friend of mine? He goes, how much radiation is, a, is in a banana? <laughs> and then he told me, he said, there's more radiation in an airplane flight. I go, oh, you mean like one of those, those, those countries like Russia or China where, you know, they don't care about people the way that we do. He, he started laughing and he goes, no, go get on any airplane. Any technology, whether it's the most basic technology or the most beautiful 747 or Air, Fit or Air Force One that the President of the United States is on, it's emitting as much radiation as anything that's coming out from nuclear waste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand if you put a banana on a granite tabletop, you actually are getting some radiation. Is that right? Yep. You actually... You actually are. And I mean, it's so funny because you just you you think about that. And I like bananas. We live in everyday radiation. And so what what's what's happening, too? And this is the cool part with these with these brand new reactors. They're called fast spectrum. Now, I'm about to go over my own head. And what that means is how this process works. These brand new reactors can actually eat and use current older nuclear waste that is, is either sitting in underground, what's called geolog- geological repositories, or in the United States, they're, being, um, they're, sitting, they're sitting in special facilities at current nuclear power plants. Well, once these new reactors come online, they can start to take that waste and actually use it as their fuel. Did you remember the old movie, um, Back to the Future? I with, love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Michael J. Fox. Remember, he comes in with the DeLorean and he goes over to the trash can and, and Michael J. Fox's character is like, Doc, Doc, what are you doing? And he had the flux capacitator. Remember, and he, he was like putting banana peels and he was oh, yeah. like old soda and just trash. And he goes, that's the fuel of the future. Well, these brand <laughs> new generation four reactors, some of them 
are going to be able to do that. So the waste issue, and then when you think about that, but let's say your friends, okay, those are those are good founded concerns they have. But then I would say over a million people a year are dying globally from coal-fired power plants, from, the, from methane gas coming from natural gas. Look at the waste issue. There's zero recycling. No one knows what to do with the waste from a wind turbine, a solar panel, batteries. You should be much more concerned about that waste. And people will tell you that a solar panel is full of all sorts of poisonous, toxic arsenics, that if you actually crack a solar panel in the United States, you have to immediately call the EPA and have them come out and almost treat it like a super fun cleanup site. Wow. Have you seen the movie, Michael Moore's film, Planet of the Humans? I have not seen it, but I certainly extensively know about it. Yeah, because he has a two minute segment which talks about how wind panel or how wind turbines, solar panels and batteries are made. And when you actually look at it, it looks to me and tell me if you think this is an exaggeration. But when you actually look at how they're made, they come across as the dirtiest energy sources on mm -hmm. the planet. Yeah, it's funny that Michael Moore would do that because I know he typically is, you know, typically is a man of the left or the man of like the U.S. Democratic Party. But I applaud Mr. Moore. Mm -hmm. He went in there and said, absolutely, they're the dirtiest forms of energy right now. Nuclear power is the absolute cleanest, most reliable, cost-free way that you can make electricity. Mm -hmm. And as these next generation of reactors are built, they're being tested, they're going to be demonstrated. This is where you're going to, this is where it's going to clean up steel plants, chemical plants. You can get what's called district heat. Well, maybe you won't be using natural gas anymore for your stove or your dryer or for your heat. You're going to get it from a carbon-free nuclear power plant. Mm -hmm. You're going to get hydrogen. You're going to get what's called cogeneration, where you're doing a couple different things. I'm doing this district heat and steam or some hydrogen. Maybe I'm going to I'm going to be able to do enough energy to do you know for desalinization to get salt water into fresh water. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it is when you see these renewables. And I mean, I wrote a book on this. I was shocked about how dirty they are. I mean, mm -hmm. I was shocked about the human rights abuses. And when people realize that, I think they, they do start to change a lot. Now, some people won't. They're so scared about the environment and they've been told this is what to do. I tell people. I never knew nuclear power was as safe reliable, cost-effective, recyclable, incredible amounts of jobs. These new power plants can run for minimal 40 years. Now some of them are saying they can go for 80 to 100 years after they've been modernized. So gosh, to me, the clear-cut winner seems to be a nuclear power plant for electricity. And then I don't know if you know this, but um, the American filmmaker uh, Oliver Stone just put out a a film about a week and a half, two weeks ago on nuclear. Oh, I'll look it up. Yep. So when you look at these new modular reactors, small yeah. modular reactors, yep. SMRs, SMRs. Yep. It, it strikes me, you know, it's interesting. The city of Ottawa doesn't say a word about nuclear as a replacement for fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And surely that's a mistake. I mean, they could have several small modular reactors and, you know, they'll be plentiful, I presume, in about yep. five years. Yes. They could have that to power the city. And could you tell us, first of all, if you agree with that idea, and also, what is a small modular reactor? 
100% I agree with that idea because uh, Canada said they want to do that. Your prime minister has specifically wholeheartedly supported small module reactors. What a small module reactor is, you're just taking a larger reactor and you're shrinking it. Less parts and what's called a passive safety system. Whereas you won't have things that could have caused accidents like at Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima, which are the three big accidents that have happened in the last 40, 40 or so years. Um, gravity will dissipate the heat, the water. You will not have outside electrical systems coming into the reactor like in Fukushima. Um, a small reactor says, hey, the footprint is a lot smaller. I'll give an example. There's a company called Ultra Safe Nuclear Corporation. Well, they want to do a micro reactor, a micro small modular reactor that they say, hey, we can put this thing underground. We can put it, we can make it in months. It basically takes up the size of like a small warehouse and they put it underground. The ones you guys are looking at, um, at the Clinch River, I believe the Clinch River, Chalk River site is uh, from GE Itachi. And it's going to be 300 megawatts. And just so people know, a megawatt typically means you can get electricity to about a thousand homes. Okay, so 300 times 1,000. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I would probably take it down to about 750 homes because we do have more iPhones, TVs. We've got more electronics. You know, tonight you may be on your iPhone charging it while you're looking at your computer. The TV's on in the back and, and the dishwasher and laundry are going. We're using more electricity these days. Mm -hmm. And so typically these small module reactors they take a lot less time to build. It's modular. What modular means is I'm going to go construct this in a factory as opposed to building it on site, which is harder. Mm -hmm. I construct it in a factory. I bring it on site. I put it together on site. And mm -hmm. so it's just, it is just taking existing technology, shrinking it down, and just really engineering it in a much safer way. You can, they're less costly. They're easier to build. They don't require as big of a, a footprint, and the safety systems are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I understand they don't need huge bodies of water either. No, they you, do not. Uh, you put them out in the prairies. Yep, many of them. Uh, this, like, a, you know, whether it's X Energy, whether it's Ultra, you know, Ultra Safe Nuclear Corporation, these are ones that do not. They don't even need water. Mm. So you're you're looking at completely different technologies. Um, even that, you know, there's a new Westinghouse one that was announced, you know, in Canada, you have, you have your can do technology, your can do reactor technology, SMRs are being looked, uh, you know, looked at that way. Rolls Royce has an SMR. This is really where electricity is going. This is where, this is your new, your newest form of nuclear. And I know people have so many detractors. Yes. And, and the nuclear industry has, has been tough, but you mm -hmm. tell people, if you say that that thing is 300 megawatts, well, the typical, it runs about 93% of the time. Whereas wind and solar run about 25 to 30% of the time. Coal <laughs> yeah. yeah. runs about 70% of the time. Gas about 70% of the time. So if I'm the city of Ottawa and I want to be carbon free and I'm concerned about the air quality, gosh, an SMR, I can put that, I can put that anywhere. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Like Kelvin Kem, who's a nuclear expert from South Africa, he was saying the city of Ottawa could put one in the north, one in the east, one in the west, one in the south, yeah. and that's it. All their electrical needs are met. And how, how soon do you think that those reactors will be available? Is it coming, you know, not this year, but in the next five years? Uh, I'd say around 2030. Okay. But, but some of them, some are saying that depending on, you know, the site, depending on the usage, uh, I believe the Canadian side is supposed to be up and running by 2029 to 2030. Wow. Wow. Exactly. Now, just to end off, we only have three minutes left. Okay. Now, we can't get rid of fossil fuels entirely. Mm -hmm. And hydraulic fracking has liberated a huge amount of natural. Yes. Maybe you can tell us two things about hydraulic fracking. First of all, what is it? <laughs> and secondly, what? what are the benefits of using it? Let's go benefits. Benefits are it takes a small amount of land compared to, let's say it's going to take you about maybe an acre or so versus 700 acres for a solar panel or wind turbine to get the same amount of, of energy, which interestingly enough, all EVs, solar panels, and wind turbines would not exist without oil because they mm -hmm. all have oil products and oil, what's called oil derivatives. What fracking is, I'm going to be funny here. Think of I'm at the car wash and I'm doing one of those hand car wash things. You're shooting it down into the ground. You're basically shooting high-pressured water. You're shooting sand in there, and you're shooting some chemicals. People go, oh, my God, chemicals. It's the same amount of chemicals and the quality that's in a bottle of 409 that you use to clean your house. Okay. <laughs> and it's high pressure. You're shooting it down into these shale rock formations. And what it does is it opens it up. And now here comes the oil, and here comes the natural gas. So it was like this before. Now I'm just opening it up to allow it to, to flow up to the top. Typically, you can go all the way down to 5,000 feet. Some say you can go down to 20,000 feet. And the reason you can use what's called a pad, this smaller, is I can have multiple wells in the same place. And then the technology is so good, I don't have to go straight down. I can go out like this. I can almost create little spider legs. So you it's have not just horizontal, horizontal drilling. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And so it's a technology that's been around since the 40s, and it's something that actually uh, really took off around the mid-2000s uh, from an uh, engineer came from Texas A&M in Texas. That's great, Todd. So what are the benefits of fossil fuels? And, you know, in particular, how can people's concerns about them be allayed? Well, I, I'm going to tell people that there's a couple great guys to read since we're kind of short on time. Uh, Alex Epstein does some amazing work on this, the moral case for fossil fuels, and then I believe he has one, Fossil Fuel Futures. Uh, Mark P. Mills of uh, the Manhattan Institute also does fantastic work. The number one thing is 80% of all of our energy in the world, transportation, from transportation to electricity, comes from fossil fuels. So 80% of everything we use to live on is fossil fuels. And then a lot of people don't know this, but when you get that barrel of oil, only half of it is used for petroleum. And there's about six, there's over 6,000 products that come from a barrel of oil. We're still a ways away before we get rid of fossil fuels. Um, I don't know if I'm going to see it in my lifetime when you go, okay, over 80 to 85% of all energy consumed in the world is oil, coal, natural gas. The world is growing from China, India, and Africa, and a couple billion of those people 
still don't have the same amount of energy and electricity that you and I have that we daily use to even just get our, our refrigerators up and running. Yeah. And I heard an economist from Africa saying, if you're telling Africa that we can only electrify with wind and solar, you're really telling us we can't electrify. Sure. Because he says, if you people in the West can't afford it, how are we going to afford it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mr. Bill Nye, the science guy of energy, <laughs> because clearly that's what you are, explaining the science and politics of energy in digestible terms. My guest today has been Todd Royal, as I said, an internationally published columnist, energy policy expert, and author based in McKinney, Texas. And I'll include a link to the amazing book that he wrote with Ron Stein, Energy Exploitations, talking about how your electric vehicles and all these other so-called green energy sources are really made. (laughs) They're not green at all. So thanks for being on the show, Todd. I sure enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Okay, this is Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story.